postpartum body odor. It is a totally natural phenomenon because your body chemistry changes after giving birth. And so sometimes that means that what worked before is no longer effective. But I am excited to say that now there is a solution for that stubborn odor. The Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is a completely natural deodorant made by a postpartum mom who went through it herself. And it works by eliminating and preventing bacterial body odor without covering up your skin's comforting smell to your baby while giving you 12 hours of odor control. And let me tell you, it actually works. Here at the house, we've all been trying it and loving it. Now, before you think, ew, you're sharing a deodorant with your husband and daughter, let me explain that this full-body deodorant comes in a convenient pump applicator that lets you apply it anywhere on your body with no bacteria traveling on the deodorant, so no ew involved. We also love that the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant has a delightful natural scent of USDA certified organic extracts that smell like a pink sugar cookie with lemon frosting. I thought this would be a little strange, but it's actually amazing. Also, the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is free from artificial fragrances and any kind of senoestrogens or herbs that can interfere with breastfeeding. Find your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant at postpartumdeodorant.com. That's postpartumdeodorant.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off through the month of May. Get your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant now at postpartumdeodorant.com and start smelling more like yourself again. I love Jenny Kane. At this very moment, I'm feeling so comfy and cozy as I'm practically getting a hug from my Jenny Kane crop cashmere cocoon cardigan. I am enjoying this sweater so much that I've been living in it all spring long. And with Mother's Day just around the corner, this is a feeling you can gift all the well-deserving moms, moms-to-be, and mother figures in your life by giving them the gift of Jenny Kane. Along with bringing you this episode, Jenny Kane is a California brand through and through, and their staples make getting dressed so super easy. Think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. Jenny Kane means luxurious cashmere sweaters, iconic accessories, elevated versions of your everyday basics, plus the most incredible home essentials. For a limited time, Birthful listeners get 15% off their first order. Go to JennyKane.com and use the code BIRTHFUL15 to get 15% off and support the show. Jenny Kane is known for their quintessential sweaters, with their cotton collection providing you with the perfect everyday pieces as the days get warmer. But they also have gorgeous sundresses in a variety of silhouettes for any occasion and spectacular sandals to go along with them. Find the perfect Mother's Day gift or curate your new spring go-tos at JennyKane.com. Birthful listeners get 15% off your first order when you use the code BIRTHFUL15 at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com, promo code BIRTHFUL15. Get yourself and the mothers in your life the gift of Jenny Kane.
Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today's show is about your baby's position in the womb. How does your baby's position affect the flow of labor? Are there things you can do during pregnancy that can help baby get in a better position? Will doing these things help you be more comfortable during pregnancy? Will it make birth easier? Gail Tully is here to tell us all about it. Stay tuned. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros and new parents to inform your intuition. Hello, Mighty Parents and Parents-to-be. As always, thank you so much for the love you give the show and all the recommendations and telling your friends about it. If what you like, if you like what you hear, then make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a thing. All right, we're approaching the end of summer here in the U.S., and I find that that's a time that always throws me for a loop. And that does require some last-minute adjustment. And uh, so that's the case for today's episode. Usually, we'd be doing a brand-new interview with BirthPro, but circumstances came together to create a perfect little storm, and so I'm doing a renewed episode instead. However, this is a topic that is a vital part of the labor flow equation. Um, The physical aspects of a physiological birth is one of my, like, first tenements in terms of a birth model that I've created. So even if you listened to it a while ago, it's worth checking it out again. Just review it. Plus, my guest is the amazing Gail Tully from Spinning Baby. So just that is worth the re-listening. Gail has over 35 years of experience working with birth, including 20 years as a home birth midwife, and she's responsible for conceiving and developing spinning babies. Back in the day, Gail was kept busy organizing doula program developments in hospitals and community nonprofits in Minneapolis, St. Paul, while training doulas with donor international approval status. And now she focuses most of her time on her unique offerings that include growing spinning babies and also sharing information about belly mapping, resolving shoulder dystocia, and breech babies. All right, here we go. Gail, welcome. So happy to have you here. Adriana, it's wonderful to be with you. This is so much fun. Um, So after 20 years being a midwife, what made you decide to focus on baby's position and create spinning babies? I'd been really learning about baby's position through the time that I was attending births actively and noticed that we didn't have a lot of tools. We didn't have a lot of techniques that were effective universally. Sometimes they worked and sometimes they didn't. So I wanted to learn more and more, and uh, I started to have a different perspective of how babies move through the pelvis and why they slow down And in those few births where the babies slow down. Why was that going on? So um, as I made sense out of it, I thought, well, why don't I share this with other midwives and doulas and see what they think, and I can learn from them too. over the years, very actually very quickly, I found out I had a very unique perspective, and the midwives and doulas were quite interested in, by adapting a different perspective, a different view on how labor progresses and how we can help the labor that's not progressing, um, we, you know, by having a different view, what I mean is we're asking a different question. We're not saying, how can we make the cervix dilate? When labor's not progressing well, very often the strategy today is to strengthen the contractions and get the cervix to dilate, where it's a kind of a mechanical view. And 
I, I am very pragmatic in looking at the physical, but I'm noticing that there's a lot of soft tissue anatomy, a lot of muscles, ligaments. Uh, and by studying those or, uh, and observing birth, I think that the baby's position is a reflection of the mother's soft tissues. The soft tissues, the muscles pull here, the ligament pulls there, and, and makes the shape of the uterus uh, maybe a little more narrow at the bottom or a little twist in it. And even though that's not happening all the time for all women, when it does happen, then the baby has to send a smaller part of its body down there, perhaps the forehead, which is more narrow than the large dome of the head, or maybe um, a little baby bottom instead of the big, bigger head will fit in the bottom of the pelvis. Now, these aren't the only reasons for babies to get into positions that are less ideal for birth, but I think that that's the most common reason. And so by focusing on what we can do to make baby's job easier, then we make labor easier for the mother. We help the labor to progress the way nature would have it progress and more comfortably for the woman, more pleasurably. So if she has hopes for a natural childbirth, uh, we can add a lot of techniques in our approach to make that more enjoyable and more possible in today's um, sort of busy obstetrical hospitals, right? And which is ultimately what we all want, better and easier labors. I, I think it's great because then mothers and babies can get on with meeting each other and being skin to skin and better breastfeeding and um, more competence, really, because when we start at a healthy place, uh, we can respond to our body's instincts and and we have our inner knowing, the inner wisdom of the woman. But when when something's off balance, sometimes we don't get those signals. Sometimes our body's uh, trying to restore the balance of contractions or trying to help the baby into the pelvis. Things aren't quite lined up. And the mother doesn't get all of her natural instinctual signals and messages if, if hormonally and functionally she's not in alignment with the really the innate design for birth within us so we can add balance um, there's some pretty simple techniques some of them are kind of unusual that make room for the baby and what I mean is it releases something too tight or it helps something come out of a twist maybe it's a ligament from the uterus to the sacrum right in between the uterus and the inside of the mother's very bottom of her back you know right in that triangular sacrum and if that's pulled over to the side the mother might not notice it sometimes women are aware that one leg is slightly shorter than the other or a hip is slightly rotated uh, it's achy to walk she has sciatica pain you know these could be misalignments or a muscle that's too tight um, and it's kind of her body sending signals of there's something up here please look at it yeah, right, because pain is always a signal to get our attention. What's it teaching us? It's our teacher. Uh, the instable pelvis, it's, it's uncomfortable in pregnancy. As pregnancy develops and the baby gets larger, there's more weight on the mother's pelvis. Uh, a little instability at the beginning of pregnancy is now has more weight to pull it 
so it becomes uncomfortable to lay on one hip or sometimes uncomfortable to walk. So what I've been learning over the years is I started out talking about, well, if we do this technique, it, it helps labor progress. Now I'm realizing, oh, the soft anatomy is something to really pay attention to. This is a no-brainer for um, the therapeutic massage therapist or the osteopath or chiropractor, someone who is very anatomy-oriented. But for the average midwife and doula, we've been thinking about the bony pelvis. We've been taught to think about the bony pelvis. Uh I had a doctor recently tell me, this is so fascinating to find out about the effects of the soft tissue. I didn't realize it would affect birth. But when we realize our pelvic floor is a series of muscle layers that open front to back like a buttonhole, really, when you think about it, the baby often comes down facing one hip, and then the head turns to fit the buttonhole on the (laughs) front to back of the pelvic floor uh, and ends up facing the mother's tailbone as the baby's born. So if that buttonhole is pulled over to one side or is very tight because we've been doing super core strength or 100 squats a day or we had a car accident with a little twist um, or we do some we have some habits of crossing our leg or something like that things things can get a little a little tilted a little twisted and baby has to find the way the buttonhole's not pulled over the side so one part of the head fits looser on one side of the mother's pelvis and less on the other then what well then the baby's head tips to the side as if the baby's listening for instructions because now the wide part of the head is in the pelvis and the baby can't line its spine up with its uh, neck and the and skull, so it can't help with the birth. And the birth becomes up to the mother, and the baby's head is bigger. It takes longer to push the baby out, but somebody put the mother on the clock or said she has to stay in bed. Uh, or maybe with the epidural, the, there isn't the good oomph of contractions anymore. These, you know, so I am back. Let's back it up, back it up. Let's see what we can do to help this woman be confident and more relaxed and when she feels like there's something she can do to bring about an easier birth it does help confidence and gives those women that want to prepare for birth some very pragmatic and practical exercises to do to do those exercises and to um, have techniques to use in labor thank you Adriana that took me a long time to get all that out (laughs) I was going to say, okay, now let's take that apart because there's tons of information in all that you just told us. <laughs> so you mentioned the a, a bit of on the elements that come into play in determining baby's position, and you spoke to about soft tissues. Can you tell us a little bit more what those soft tissues are? What we're think what sure. you're considering? That would be all the muscles and ligaments, and even the membrane around the organs, muscles, ligaments, and joints and vessels called the fascia. The fascia is a living membrane like a matrix where water comes through it. I I talk about it like being an under-the-skin river. It's very thin, but it's very durable and strong, and it is part of our 
um, the supportive tissue that goes all around our muscles and through the muscles too, right? It's that white marbly stuff you see mm -hmm. in, in meat if, if for those meat eaters. Um, I'm one of them, actually. I, I hate to tell you, Adriana. But I, I don't. I don't. I remember that from our potluck together in Rochester. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, so anyway, so that connective tissue uh, is a living membrane with fluid running through it. So it's conducting electricity and helping the muscles do their thing, including contract and support weight and load and all these things that I'm, as a layperson, uh, I'm telling you in a very layperson understanding. So when that comes into balance, and we don't have to be perfect, but then we have space and we have flexibility and we have tone and we have mobile a mobile sacrum. And the mobile sacrum is the very key to childbirth. Why is that? Because it moves a centimeter or two centimeters out of the baby's path. Nobody really talks about that, but it's known, it's, it's commented on, but it's not really clearly discussed in, in uh, the midwifery world or the physician world looking at birth. So, um, for instance, I've heard Ina May talk about midwives in the Caribbean saying, the, the baby won't come until the back opens. What does that mean, the back opens? Well, mm -hmm. the natural reflexes in childbirth, natural movement of the body in childbirth is not only the cervix dilating, but it's also the sacrum backing away from the center of the body. So the doula or the midwife or the labor and deliver, delivery nurse, anybody who's standing beside a woman in active labor, and gently touches her sacrum. Some mothers really find that comforting. So, of course, we would ask the mother's permission before we would reach over and assess her sacrum, right? But I would just say, may I touch your sacrum uh, during this next contraction? And most women find it quite relaxing and say yes. And it's a very light touch, and you can feel this river of birth moving through this fascia, right? It's, it's um, a motion in the membranes around the bone, it's very subtle, but when you don't feel it, you know it's lacking. There is no movement there. So we do, um, we pay attention to that and we look for that flexibility. This is kind of beyond what a lot of your listeners were expecting to hear, I think, but um, mothers can do exercises themselves for the hip openers, for instance, in the yoga world, stretches, and uh, physical therapy. Women can get the professional work of a physical therapist, a myofascial release, craniosacral, uh, osteopathic or chiropractic, right, to help us get in balance. Well, there's techniques that women can do themselves. We've got a free list at spinningbabies.com and uh, the Daily Essentials does a lot of this. And if women restore a bit of balance and flexibility it supports birth. Now, how many women need to do this? That's the question. Mm -hmm. And how early do they need to start? Before we talk about that, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. 
And we're back talking with Gail Tully. So, Gail, how early should people start doing these activities? Right. So imagine a spectrum from easy to difficult. Where are we on that spectrum? Sometimes we think our intent for natural birth puts us over on the easy thing. If I have the intention for natural birth and I have a a provider that's willing or I choose to have a birth with no provider at all and then they won't interfere with me or I have a doula or I read this book or took this class or whatever, you know, that's kind of how people think about it now. And for most women that's most women with the intent for natural birth they're going to have a natural birth. But if we have something well, um, something tight that might hold the baby back. And one of the common things is round ligaments in the front. So there's two round ligaments, and if they're tight, women usually feel spasm in those ligaments in the front. So During pregnancy and during labor? pregnancy. And it not, it's not that common in, in labor, but the thing is, is they're not tight only when they're spasming. Okay. That's a symptom that they're tight. And when usually when we roll over in bed is when we feel the spasm. And it's not that unusual around 15 to 18 weeks pregnant uh, as those ligaments are really growing. Uh, but it, repeated and long-term sort of jabs. Like if you put your hand down your lower abdomen towards your right hip, let's say your right hand, um, your fingers end about the middle and your wrist is near your hip. That's the place where, you, and, and your, your pinky finger is down towards your thigh. That's the area where you would feel that round ligament spasm. That would be the right side, or some women feel it on the left side. Okay, so that comes like a little barrier for baby's rotation, especially more in the first time mom, um, or the mom who is really looking for natural birth after a long labor and a cesarean for her first baby, those are the two moms that really want to start early. So when morning sickness is over or even before pregnancy, uh, just depends. The early, see, where do you want to put yourself on the spectrum? If you truly are on the easy side, then a technique or two does it. But some people aren't on the easy side, even though we all hope to be. So the woman that happens to be on the more difficult side of the spectrum of ease will need to do several things. Now, it would be great to have a questionnaire so that we could figure out where we are on this spectrum of ease, but I don't think it's that simple because there's about 36 muscles going to the pelvis. I, I just, I hear myself talking and I'm worried some of the listeners are going to be worried about this. Well, so no, so, but in truth, I mean, on the, on the website, on spinningbabies.com, you have some daily activities, daily exercises that any mom can do. Now, even if they're on the easy or the more difficult spectrum, if they're on the easy, this won't, this won't make things out of whack. Like they, right. they're all going towards balance. So there's really no harm in them doing them. As long as people, well, there's there's certain contraindications. Like don't go upside down if you have high blood pressure, mm-hmm. glaucoma, and and then how are we going to do it? We're going to do it gently. We're going to do it attuned to our body, and we're going to, you know, the guidelines I put. In by doing it gently or doing this one once a day or that one once a week 
You know, those seem to be fine schedules. But some people will think, well, if this is good to do once a day, I'm going to do it 10 times a day. And, you know, it's the over-enthusiastic kind of approach like that, that I can't say that may be too much. But adding balance does not make a baby in a poor position because the baby would be in the best position possible if the space was available. Uh, Gravity wants to bring the head down, and the shape of the womb is such that when the baby's on the left side, it curls the baby into flexion. This is from something that we all have called right obliquity. Well, I say we all have it. I mean, we all potentially have it. There are a couple of women that don't have it, just like there's a couple of people that have their heart on the right side and not on the left side. You know, there's some anatomical variations. But the far majority of us have right obliquity. If the the uterus is steeper on the right and curved on the left, so the baby who settles on the left has a flexed chin and sends the crown of the head into the pelvis, the baby on the right might have a straight back and sends the top of the head into the pelvis. And the top of the head is longer front to back. And when the baby is facing forward, that puts the forehead a little bit over the mother's pubic bone at the end of pregnancy. Now, this would be something that would show up after 38 weeks pregnancy if it were happening with most women. And if baby's looking forward, we're talking more of a posterior positioning, so more like a back labor. Yeah, well, and some women have back labor with a posterior baby and some don't. And and I didn't have a posterior baby and I had back labor because I'm short and I had a car accident. And I thought going to the chiropractor a couple of times was enough. But when I got pregnant again, I mean, when I got pregnant after the years after the car accident, I needed to, uh, you know, all I was doing was walking. And walking is great, and it's one of the most important exercises, but it doesn't open the hips. You can imagine your legs are always going forward, back, forward, back. They're never going, you know, there wasn't a lot of side to side. So forward lunges are perfect, but also doing some things with your thighs apart. You know, you need, like, um, windmill is an excellent exercise, and there's some specific hip openers and triangle pose and the different wonderful exercises that are addressing more muscles. So instead of me addressing the very same set of muscles all the time, I want to increase more muscles and get more range of motion. So flexibility and range of motion alignment, these are all words that kind of go with balance. Mm And so you were mentioning earlier that we did a potluck in Rochester, and that's because earlier this year you came and did a wonderful workshop um, that we were lucky, I was lucky enough to take. And a lot of the things, so you were talking about, and you mentioned just now, uh, how about how that uterus can be a little kinked one way, and it depends on things that we don't normally think about. Um, Like, for example, I've always snowboarded. And snowboarding, you have a strong stop, and then a twist, right, yes. to get you to right. stop yourself. Well, my baby was 
breach for most of the pregnancy. Um, I had an external version, and so the doctor was able to manually turn her. She did stay head down. Um, this was around 37 weeks, and she stayed head down until 41 weeks, actually. Um, oh. But, which was fantastic, right? She, she, she got into that place. But she was posterior. And I yeah. had very strong back labor the whole time. Um, and even though I did yoga, I swam. I didn't do, at that time, I didn't know about spinning babies. So this was 10 years ago. I didn't do the inversions that um, are some of your daily exercises or have chiropractic adjustments. So I wasn't looking at balance. Like you said, a lot of people don't consider the soft tissues imbalance as something um, to create space so that baby gets in a better position. And after taking the workshop, it was like a big aha moment for me thinking, ah, the snowboarding may have something to do with it. Why she was breached for so long and why even though when she got head down still wasn't going into that beautiful, you know, position looking back and towards my left um, that the, the often known as LOA, the less left occipital posterior <laughs> that yeah. I, I throw that out for moms just because your doctor or your midwife might say that. But LOA is sort of, would you agree that's the ideal or more or for an easier birth position? It's really any of the L's. I mean, here's the thing, the, the wonderful work of Jean Sutton, the New Zealand midwife who who wrote with Pauline Scott, Optimal Fetal Positioning, talked about the left and the right. And so the LOA has become the classic ideal position or optimal position. But you know, for those of us with a gynecoid pelvis, the rounder pelvis, it's wider side to side. Then our starting position is ideally left occiput transverse and transverse just means the baby's facing a hip when the occiput is down the os okay let's try this again <laughs> first word is the mother the direction on the mother so her left or right the second word or the part of the baby is occiput for head down or sacrum for breach and then we go back to the mother's body in what part of that occiput, which is the back of your head, if you put your hand way in the back of your head, um, where a 1950s ponytail might have been, you feel the occiput. That is, and the occiput's the and land. And now, of course, we're all putting our hands on the back of our heads. I'm counting on it. <laughs> uh, and that occiput is the landmark. Now, the, the very back of the head doesn't come through first ideally it would be the crown of the head uh, but the crown of the head involves the parietal bones and the occiput and the posterior fontanelle so the easiest single landmark to mark the baby's position is the occiput so second word is is baby part and third word goes back to what part of the mother's pelvis is that baby part? So if the baby's head down, it's occiput. If the os, if the baby's occiput posterior, like your baby was, then the occiput's towards the mother's posterior or the mother's back, somewhere in the um, back fourth of her pelvis. Each hip would be occiput transverse. If the baby was on the left, 
it would be left osput transverse. If the baby was on the right, it would be right osput transverse. And if the occiput is in the front portion of the pelvis, then the baby's osput anterior. So for a woman with an anthropoid pelvis, that's a pelvis that's naturally longer front to back. Her baby starting position would be occiput anterior, not occiput, not left occiput anterior, just direct occiput anterior. So we leave off the first word on left or right because the baby's neither left nor right. It's directly occiput anterior. So sometimes the literature says direct occiput anterior. Uh, and with mother's pelvis is longer front to back, her posterior baby might come right through her pelvis without rotating and without too much trouble. Now, let me say that's from a midwife's perspective, <laughs> maybe not the mother's. She's doing hard work labor. But her pelvis is very likely shaped to allow a posterior baby through. Uh, whereas a mother with a triangle-shaped pelvis is not likely to have that uh, let me put it this way. Fewer of those moms would have a direct osput posterior baby born without help or without a cesarean. Gail, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Today's episode is sponsored by Acorns. And sometimes I find that investing gets put off because it doesn't seem urgent or because with our busy lives, we may not have the time to research and manage said investments. Which is why I so appreciate that Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future and that you don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. So for example, I take advantage of Acorns roundup feature where they round up the purchase amounts I make in my linked account to the nearest dollar and then they automatically transfer that to my invest account portfolio. Also, Acorns can recommend an expert-built portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. For me, that's easy-peasy investing. Head to acorns.com slash birthful or download the Acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today. Client testimonial may not be representative of all clients. Tier 1 compensation provided. Compensation provides an incentive to positively promote Acorns. View important disclosures at acorns.com slash birthful. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. Please consider your objectives, risk tolerance, and Acorns fees before investing. Acorns Advisors LLC Acorns is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are provided to clients of Acorns by Acorn Securities LLC. Member FINRA SIPC. For more information, visit acorns.com. Tell me if this sounds familiar. You've taken gorgeous photos of your baby or your kids, and then when you want to share them, it is a pain either trying to find the photos or figuring out the group text that they should go to, and then also remembering that, say, Aunt Helen only does email, so you need to send her image separately. Or like in my case, where my husband is a photographer who takes magnificent photos that I rarely actually get to see because they live on his phone or end up scattered in text messages that I can't easily find. Enter the Family Album app, which was created to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with your loved ones. Basically, it's a personal space for your family's memories without 
third-party ads or unwanted eyes and with a bunch of fabulous features. It automatically sorts photos and videos by month, allowing you to swipe back in time and easily see how your child has grown. And you can also order eight photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. The Family Album app also has unlimited storage. Plus, it's totally free. Yup, no more worrying about running out of space or being bombarded by third-party ads. So, to all the parents out there still trying to use other messaging apps for your kids' photos, level up your family photo game for free and securely with the Family Album photo sharing app. Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, all in one word, and download the app to start creating your shared photo legacy. And we're back talking with Gail Tully. So what happens, because not every person's going to know what type of pelvis shape they have. That's right. And every pelvis is going to work better when it's not held back. So remember we talked about the mobile sacrum. So what we can do to help our sacrum be mobile, um, it's going to help our births. And the same things that help our pelvis be mobile are helping our soft tissues. So what can moms do to make that sacrum more mobile and those soft tissues more aligned? You know, I've really been influenced by Katie Bowman on this, and she really suggests starting out with calf stretches and doing calf stretches for a couple of weeks and then getting into squats. And she has a very specific way of doing squats um, and doing them more once you learn how to do them with your feet flat on the floor and your ankles underneath your knees. I like hanging on to two doorknobs of one open door um, and leaning back away from the door. Uh Um, Like you're going to sit on a chair that's too far behind you to actually sit on, but you're tipping your pelvis to try to reach that chair that's too far back. So sticking that tailbone out and kind of trying to keep your knees behind your toes. Yeah, your knees are behind your toes, yep, right over your ankles, and your knees are not that far apart, you know, comfortable for the belly to fit in between. And you don't have to do a deep squat. You can start, you start out with the calf stretches for a couple of weeks, and then you do a few squats now and then through the day. But none of this 50 squats a day, 100 squats a day in the city living. Um, Because we're not used to doing squats. we got to build up to it. Yeah, and, and we need to do squats in our daily life. So put your cutting board on the floor and squat, <laughs> scrape your vegetables or, you know, find other ways to integrate squatting in your life. Squatting on the toilet is ideal if you have a safe platform for your feet. There's the squatty potties. Yeah, and that gives you a passive squat. So you don't have to have the muscles to squat on a squatty potty, um, it, but it re-angles you and it's it's really a positive invention. I'm really in favor of that concept. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, calf stretch squats, the hip openers, walking, you know, and thinking about letting that core be toned and flexible but not built up. We're not trying to go for strength or tightness or shortness. Having tight abdominals and pelvic in pregnancy is not ideal. Uh, You know, a tight neck and shoulders is not ideal. Mm -hmm. So you just want toned. 
Yeah, you want tone and flexibility. You want to have the movement. And then things like chiropractic adjustments, or you were talking about massage, or are those beneficial and are they required or can they always required but again it's like where are we on the spectrum Mm -hmm. so if I misjudge myself as being overly ideal sometimes I find out a little too late that I'm not so I you know I'm not qualified to assess another person that's not my forte but as most midwives I tend to notice certain patterns. Um, for one thing, pelvic instability and pain. Like some women are in so much pain when they're laying on their side uh, in bed or they're, ha- they're in pain laying down and they try on this side and they try on that side and they end up having to sit up because they just can't sleep. Now, that's not nature's way. Why in the world would we evolve to be so uncomfortable to carry our young? That's not not normal in the animal kingdom. Um, so why in the world would we think it's normal for humans? And so um, pelvic instability is a sign something's off, and then fetal position reflects that instability, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also nutritional. We need good nutrition. We need good uh, calcium magnesium. We need the proper kinds of iodine without being silly and taking iodine supplements without the supervision of an expert. Um, You know, but seaweed in our diet, um, iodized salt, these are good things. We need a a functioning metabolism. Um, You know, I... So getting proper sleep, too. Yeah, and our omega-3s and our... smart fats and salt to taste and enough movement to support our metabolism. That's where prenatal yoga is nice is um, when it's not too vigorous or not um, overemphasizing just a couple of moves but is is integrated with the pregnancy, then uh, it's also helping our metabolism be have improved function and, and that includes our thyroid. So these are important things. Um, we don't want to be eating junk because every bite counts right now. So getting the good stuff is helping our metabolism. Our metabolism is helping the baby be in a good position and having our body be flexible. Okay, so (laughs) let's move on from that Mm -hmm. and talk a little bit about labor, should we? Um, Yeah, we can do that. Actually, so I want to talk about labor, and I also want to talk about how can moms figure out what position their babies are in because... Mapping. Yeah, let's talk about belly mapping. Yeah, because you've mentioned that baby's position is sort of a reflection of their soft tissue, so that could be another... Figuring out how baby is can help them figure out how much maybe a little bit of where they are in that spectrum that's a good idea so first we have to know what weeks gestation it matters and balance matters throughout because we're gonna have better hormonal function and comfort then we want to think okay it's normal for the baby to be laying on its side in the womb maybe a little oblique maybe really sideways uh, for 26 weeks of pregnancy then around 26 weeks, 
maybe 24, sometimes earlier, sometimes later, 28 weeks, the baby should be vertical. Oh, I say should be because, you know, I'm talking like a school teacher, I guess. Uh, oh, I have some lovely school teacher friends. <laughs> well, uh, you can't be absolute, oh, right? Yeah. Right. There's no absolutes because yes. uh, sometimes babies know more than we do. So babies are typically vertical um, around 26 to 28 weeks. And this might mean breech first and then head down. So if the baby's breech for a while um, before 28 weeks, that's considered totally normal. And the ligaments have the baby lined up vertically. The baby needs to be vertical to come out later. Then by the time 28, 30 weeks is happening, the heaviness of the baby's head is such that brings the baby's head down. So the mother has to think, if, I'm, if they're going to figure out their baby's position, how many weeks they are so that they know what to expect. Because if they're looking for the baby to be vertical and they find the baby sideways but they're 24 weeks in pregnancy, that's pretty normal. Mm -hmm. So there's no worry about it. Uh, if they have a history of the babies being sideways in their womb, they can start already with the forward-leaning inversion just for 30 seconds, just for three breaths. The instructions are on the website with the reasons not to do it, like I said before, with not with high blood pressure. Uh, and then if the mother doesn't have any risk factors of, of maybe a cesarean for a baby that wasn't vertical in the past pregnancy, then um, she might wait until she's 30 weeks or 32 weeks, according to the mother's preference and start working on balancing for the fetal position then. So we do daily essentials, any time in pregnancy, what every mother can. And if we need to do more for comfort, for fetal position, or for soothing a challenging birth history, we would start as early as we can, but I would say probably by 20 weeks or so. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, because even though the baby's not in a bad position in the second trimester, the balance of the body is being set up and the baby's future position is set, is getting set in the second trimester. And there's a little bit of study on that, but they're mostly talking about women that are upright or women who spend their entire pregnancies in bed because of health reasons. So um, so they did find that it was important in second trimester to be walking around being upright if your health allows it. <laughs> but I want to take it further than that mm -hmm. to the balance. So now to tell the baby's position or not, we think about how little baby is. Like all people, the back is... The, the limbs curve away from the back, right? Your, your back is smooth and flat, and the legs and arms sort of bend towards the front. And in the fetal position, you know the arms and legs tend to be curled up towards the tummy, and the tummy bent a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. The chin drops down. So we can use that information when we try to figure out baby's position. So if a woman, a woman has to lay down on her back, and let's say it's going to be more easy to figure out your baby's position from 36 weeks to the end of pregnancy. Some women can find the baby's position 
at 34 weeks, and a very few women can figure it out at 28 weeks or so. And it depends on how firm, what I say is the broad ligament. A lot of midwives will say how it's the abdominals, how strong is the woman's abdominals. That can be too, but it can also be uh, tension in the broad ligament because when you do some rebozo sifting, the Mexican shawl is mm -hmm. the rebozo and there's some, some wonderful relaxation techniques that mothers can do. I like it when mothers are on their hands and knees and the rebozo is like a hammock in their belly and their partner stands behind them and lifts their belly up from behind and and like putting the baby in a hammock and then rocks the hammock very slightly, little little bits and brings it up to a sifting, gradually brings it up to a sifting speed. Sort of like those 50s exercise machines, but, <laughs> but not, but on hands and knees. You're right, exactly. And more gently and, mm -hmm. and uh, more tuned in with the mother. So if the person doing its knees are slightly bent, not locked, but uh, slightly bent, uh, it gives them more perception and, and more skill in doing it. And um, that tends to help relax the broad ligament. It helps put the mother in a relaxed state. It's a wonderful technique. It's actually one of the most important techniques uh, for comfort for all women, as long as she's not bleeding or cramping undue to labor, un unrelated to labor. So it's not a bloody show, as the saying is. But it's it could be some bleeding in pregnancy that would send you to the doctor. Then you would never do these techniques, and you, you would go to the doctor, right? Mm -hmm. You couldn't stop and do these techniques. So I I know that sounds a little extra cautious, but um, we have now the latest count was 180,000 visitors to spinning babies a month, and in 180,000 people coming, I realize I have to be very clear, as clear as I can be. That's fantastic, all the people that you're helping. It's really great. And we are hearing wonderful stories of women having more comfortable pregnancies, of women having, you know, dramatically shorter labors after long first labors, or um, first-time mothers who are having, you know, six or eight-hour labors that are comfortable. Now, those women are working it every day, and I don't mean working it like a athlete. I mean moving gently into balance and, you know, doing those range of motion exercises. Really great. Keeping active and doing their daily inversions and, and your recommendations from the website. Yes, and for those women that are already athletes, it's, a, it's the patience of softening, of getting that feminine softness for the baby to pass through. So we want length in the pelvic floor, not strength in the pelvic floor. When we have length, we'll have flexibility and tone, and there'll be the strength there, but we're not going for the strength. Because you need to create space. Yeah. That's right, Adriana. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we really think about it as let's make space for the baby. We don't have to know the baby's position. I noticed that if a mother, you know how a mother gets a little browner line down the center of her tummy from her belly button down to the pubic bone? Mm -hmm. And that's the, I call that the center line. If the, it's really helpful in belly mapping because the mother can say, okay, my, you know, maybe it is her left side, feels a big, firm, smooth part of the baby, feels kind of hard on that side, where her right side would be kind of more squishy but bumpy, little bumps 
or kicks maybe on her right side. Uh, that means the baby's back would be on her left and the limbs would be over on the right. So the baby is likely facing her right side. That's Now, how do we know if that's left occiput anterior or left occiput transverse or left occiput posterior? It could be any of those three. The back of the head could be a little bit in the front in the left for left anterior, right to the mother's left side. That would be left transverse. And um, or left in the back for left. Occiput. And really, any any of the lefts would be good, so they don't need to get very much into that detail. Or just... right, that's what I think. And even the left, the baby that's posterior, if the back of their head is on the left, that usually means in most of these, for most of the left occiput posterior babies, that their chin's tucked, so the contractions will help rotate the baby. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it's un, uncommon. It's not. It, it it happens once in a while, but it's uncommon that that left occiput posterior baby would get their forehead stuck on the pubic bone and and um, head into a really long labor. Uh, where the baby that's coming from the right, their back is straight because the right side of the the uterus is more steep, and so that puts their forehead sometimes over the pubic bone. And so the first time mother doesn't have her baby engaged when she starts labor. So see, spinning babies is about how to help the baby's chin get tucked, how to make room for the baby. It's all to help the baby rotate with the contractions of labor. Because rotation is very much a part of labor progress and the natural process of labor. And having the baby rotate is a sign of progress. Um, and it sometimes needs to happen before the cervix dilates very much. So if we're only looking at cervical dilation, we are not looking at the key to labor progress. We're looking at the result. Mm-hmm. Because and we, we always hear this partnership of mom's jobs to dilate, baby's jobs to rotate. Ooh, I bet you found that on the Spinning Babies website. <laughs> <laughs> I've been hearing that for years. Yeah, well, it's, that's a, where it's a perfect that's saying, right? That's where it comes from. And um, yes, be, yes, because um, it's not really by by trying to force open the cervix with pitocin or different medications that that are offered or or directed to pregnant or and birthing women. Um, we're tr- you know we're looking for the result and. Basically, Adriana, I liken it to the two-year-old who wants to go through the door. The two-year-old runs ahead of his or her mother, pounds on the door, wants to get outside to play. The the mother comes over and turns the doorknob, and magically the door opens, and out they go to play. Um, It's like if we pound the pressure at the cervix, with Pitocin, get, turning up that Pitocin, turning up that Pitocin. We are trying to break through that door without turning the doorknob. And mm-hmm. the baby's, when the baby rotates, it fits through the pelvis like a puzzle piece dropping into place. Then the back of the head, the crown of the head, comes onto the cervix. Because the mother's been in labor now, 
her body's ready to open and she's soft. She's ready to have her baby. We're waiting on the baby. We tried some moves and some techniques. I like to do balance first and then use gravity and movement, um, traditional maternal positions and labor to help the baby move through the levels of the pelvis from the inlet at the top to get into the pelvis through the middle or the mid pelvis and out the outlet. So there's different shapes at the different levels of the pelvis and the baby turns its head to fit those. If the soft tissues are soft enough, they don't hold the baby back. And then the uterine contractions can rotate the baby. And I find that this is really important for moms to to think about. Like, go to Spinning Babies and, and read the information and don't be overwhelmed because you'll figure it out. It's it's harder to talk about it on the on audio on, like on the radio than to actually see it. So there's great visuals on spinning babies. But I off I so often hear a common fear of is my baby too you know, will my baby fit through my pelvis? Is baby too big? And I think it's really valuable all the work you do because it has nothing to do or not nothing to do, but that disproportion of head too big for the pelvis is extremely rare, whereas it's more about considering you've got to have the baby's smallest part of the head <laughs> go through the biggest part of the pelvis, and yes. then it will it will work. So it's not so much of, is my baby too big? Rarely is baby too big. It's more, is my baby in the right position and am I balanced and in the right position so that this baby can flow right through? Flow right through. That's it. Because it's, it's the angle of the head, not the size of the head. The baby whose chin is tucked uh, can help with the birth, can wiggle its shoulder and press the crown of the head down. It can, it can find the roomier spot in the pelvis. Um, you know, the baby is designed to do that and this... The head is designed to mold and turn into that cone shape that people find funny to joke about, you know. Uh, and that cone shape goes away within hours. Uh, you got to take a picture right away because it's going to be gone before the hour. <laughs> um, and it is fascinating to me to see the competence and the skill of the baby being born and the instinctual competence of the mother who is in somewhat in balance. Like I said, we don't have to be perfect. Uh, she's getting those signals in birth. She goes deep into her birthing being, and the hormones flow through her. So she feels, oh, I should get up now. I should rock this way and lean that way, and I need to grab someone here and um, move there and now it's time to rest and now it's time to get up and there's this rhythm to labor that she can trust and follow when her and the baby are lined up together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And with, with that rhythm, things will flow. But yes. So let's say mom's in labor and hot, labor isn't flowing so well and the contractions aren't coming like clockwork and stronger longer closer together but they are a little kind of all over the place five minutes three minutes 20 minutes 10 minutes not progressing 
what then? <laughs> yes. Well, I call that an asymmetrical labor pattern. It's, it's, um, it's not predictable. And it seems like it's starting and then it seems like it's stopping. And some women say, is my starter broken? Why won't this labor start? What's the matter? And it can get tiring and you get your expectations and your hopes up and then it backs off. So there isn't this, this rhythm, right? You can't establish this rhythm with this labor. So what's going on? Um, so a couple things to think about. Is the mother due? If the mother isn't due and she's having some contractions, is she hydrated? Uh, is she talking to her care provider to get assessed? If they're f more than four an hour, she wants to get assessed. Um, if she is due, then it, um, some, for, is she a first-time mom? Is, she, uh, is the baby engaged? Now, how do we tell if the baby's engaged? Because sometimes when the forehead is over, the pubic bone, the back of the head, can be in the pelvis. If the midwife or nurse or doctor reaches inside to feel the baby's head, they might feel that the head's not wiggling and it's in the pelvis. But, you know, Adriana, nobody checks the outside for the forehead. <laughs> I had a mom <laughs> teach me that once. Um, she kept having labor at night. And it would go away in the day. Now, this was a mom who had had four children. So or the, I think this was her fourth pregnancy. Uh, so that is more common with women who've given birth. And some first-time mothers do that, where there's contractions at night that go away in the light. And that's a hormonal thing, right? Typically mm -hmm. considered a hormonal thing. But when contractions come on strong in the day and then they stop, but they were super strong, like, wow, you know, set up the midwifery bag. This baby's coming. Oops, it's not. Everything stopped or really spaced out. Um, and it's spacing out at night. Or it's spacing out in the day, too. Okay. I mean, it's, there's not a rhythm of, of the um, circadian rhythm. It's not on the circadian rhythm or this hormonal changes over the 24-hour period. But it... it Again, it's not symmetrical, so there isn't. It's it's just not following the pattern that we see when babies are gonna come quickly or within a day. <laughs> so this can tire mom up. Mm -hmm. So let's check: is the baby's whole head in the pelvis? If not, we add balance. We do our balancing exercises, and there's some special ones. We talked about the daily ones. There's some weekly ones that can also be used in in labor. We can do that rebozo sifting early in labor and follow it up with the forward leaning inversion where the mother puts her knees on her couch and as long as she doesn't have high blood pressure, glaucoma or uh, some type of medical risk, she's a healthy woman, she can put her knees on the edge of the couch, put one hand on the floor, the second hand on the floor, then the first elbow on the floor, the second elbow on the floor, let her neck hang She's not resting her head on the floor, but she's tucking her chin. And this gives her uterosacral ligament a chance to stretch. She takes just three breaths, just about 30 seconds. Longer isn't particularly better. But in labor, she could do this all the way through a contraction. It wouldn't be harmful to do it through a few contractions. 
we're figuring she's a first-time mom whose labor isn't coming on. The head is down. She's doing it for a short period of time. She comes back up. The uterine contractions are keeping the baby head down, but um, being upside down is helping that uterosacral ligament lengthen, and that takes out a twist. It becomes more symmetrical in the in the lower uterine segment. She goes from the forward-leaning inversion back up onto her heels. She sits on her heels, takes a couple breaths, letting the baby and the uterus settle right back down where it belongs. The baby is not likely to turn breech. Okay, People have been looking at this for, um, people have been coming to my website and doing this for years, and in labor, the baby is not likely to go. And you're not there for long. You're 30 seconds, three breaths. Yeah, and in labor, in an active labor, you could be there for even three contractions if they're close enough together. But uh, same thing. It's it's letting that lower uterine segment have more space so the baby can tuck its chin. Then we go from forward-leaning inversion into sideline release. And sideline release is not laying on one side. It's a very specific bodywork technique from the myofascial community. Uh, it's very picky at how to do it, but really any adult can learn how to do it. And on the website, you have beautiful illustration or photos that illustrate how to do it with great instructions. So I'm just going to tell people go there yeah, <laughs> instead go of trying to explain it with audio. Exactly. But just to know that it's very precise and the helper has to be uh, close to the mother so she can't fall. And it's a great technique. It's so it relieves pain. It helps so many labors, and um, you have to do it on both sides because we don't want to make room on one side and leave one side with less room. Our baby will go sideways to, you know, it'll, its head will come down like asynclitism mm -hmm. to, to come through. Not not exactly sideways, but tip. And so uh, we do it on both sides, and then it helps the baby that was already asynclitic to have room to come through sometimes to correct itself, but usually to soften and have room. It helps the baby who's facing a hip that got stuck on a bone called transverse arrest to be able to turn into the diagonal and go past that bone, get into the roomy space and get past that bone. It uh, can help. Sometimes a posterior baby will turn right into the, right at, during the technique. So um, it's quite a useful technique. And those are the three sisters, the rebozo sifting, the forward-leaning inversion, and the uh, sideline release. And then they're standing sacral, so I call that the fantastic four. <laughs> because um, the standing sacral gives flexibility and mobility to the sacrum. So we're getting... Is that the lift, the lift and tuck? No, no, that's okay. help with engagement. So first we did balance. Now we're going to do a technique that's going to aim the baby into the pelvis and help the chin tucked and the the essential part of this technique was designed by Jamie King an engineer in Texas who wrote back labor no more excellent little book and I just emphasize doing a posterior pelvic tilt while you do it and that increases the success of this technique it's done for 10 contractions in a row and it helps tuck the baby's chin and the contractions are the key it's not effective without the contractions. The contractions then rotate the baby off the pubic bone and lets the baby into the pelvis. And 
the important thing is, is you really need to commit to those 10 contractions. Yeah. I yeah, find. You're often inter interrupted, you mm -hmm. know, um, uh, something will, a person will come in and say it's time for checking the baby's heart rate, for instance. So you don't get to do it through one contraction. That's okay. Just start with the count and the next contraction. It's a wonderful technique. We're really blessed to have it. It's uh, well known in the in the labor world, but uh, people don't always understand um, to do the posterior pelvic tilt. The posterior pelvic tilt is if you back up to a wall and you put your arm behind your back in the lower back, you feel that curve where you have space for the arm. Now you're going to let your feet come a little bit away from the wall and bend your knees and flatten your back into the wall so there's no room for an arm back there anymore. And that tilt of the pelvis to flatten the lower back is the posterior pelvic tilt. It helps the baby in the top of the womb. So it's great for early labor. But sometimes the baby doesn't come into the womb even though the mother's 10 centimeters. Can you believe that? Mm -hmm. And so the woman's pushing, 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 and then the nurse says, oh, you know, we've just discovered the baby's really high. Mm -hmm. I've seen it happen. Yeah, it's, a, it's one of the more common causes of a cesarean. And um, now the mother's kind of past the point of abdominal lift and tuck. She sure could do it at 10 centimeters dilated as long as her provider's there because once the baby comes in the pelvis, it's not going to be long before the baby's in her arms. And we want to make sure that someone's there to help her catch the baby. Mm -hmm. uh, but if the cervix isn't dilated yet, Sometimes helping the baby into the pelvis is what will then dilate the cervix. So the baby puts some pressure, some weight on that cervix. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. some symmetrical weight from the crown of the baby's head. And the sideline release might even help the uterus be more, um, like if there was a little twist in the uterus or, or the piriformis muscle in the bottom, in the mother's bottom, was tight and pulling her sacrum over or something. These are techniques that make more, they release those tensions and untwist those twists and makes room for baby. Which okay. is lovely because then you have a flowing birth. <laughs> yeah, and you know, we I can't help everybody, Adriana. I, I do notice um, that the spinning babies enthusiasts, they're really paying attention to where it's baby and what's the technique that matches that level of the pelvis. In fact, it's simple enough that, you know, devoted parents could could learn this. So I put together the Spinning Babies Parent class in one hour of how to prepare for pregnancy and one hour of how to tell if I'm having a normal labor and should just chill and relax and enjoy it. Or is something stopping the labor progress? And one of the most common reasons that a woman who wanted a natural birth ends up with a cesarean. Reasons, uh, you know, from baby's position point of view. Mm -hmm. So there's a wonderful childbirth methods out there, or no method at all, and the instinctual method. Those are all great. So spinning babies can be applied with any method. Spinning babies is not in and of itself a method. It's an approach. It's a way to look at birth coming from the mother and the baby. Uh, and helping the mother and the baby be partners in birth. Mm -hmm. And I encourage all the listeners that are pregnant to go and 
check out spinningbabies.com because there's the techniques are really well explained. And I love that you even have a section, a big button that says, if you're in Libra now, click here. <laughs> it's like the cliff notes of what to do. Yeah, because, you know, people are finding spinning babies on their phone in labor. Mm -hmm. And so I tried to have a little, like, if this is going on, do this. And if that's going on, do that. So you, there's even a last minute resource, people. They're, go to spinning babies. <laughs> yes, and we're on that spectrum of ease, you know. So, for instance, uh, a woman who suffered infertility, you know, poly cystic ovary syndrome or some of these things are going to make things more complicated so let's get into balance in all ways i'm talking a lot about the physical but we need the hormonal and the you know coming out of this fight or flight alertness that we live in cities in you know we have to be able to find a place to be calm and nurturing with ourselves and with life and move into a peaceful place. And so spinning babies is the active part of patience. Um, I'm giving those women that want to do some active preparation some very useful skills and, and tools to use, even though I realize that not everybody needs this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, you know, Adding balance well, is not going to hurt anybody, but not everybody is out of balance, right? Right. And But the truth is we've got these really comfy chairs that let us, you know, yeah. slouch and lean back and we're not doing many squats. I mean, we could, we all could use a little more balance. <laughs> we're not out of whack, but we could all use a little more balance. Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah. And the main thing is that we do it in a way where... It's just integrated with life, and it's not a worry and a concern, so that we're not um, adding stress. Adding stress, you know, yeah. we're already stressed. Yeah. So, what the change of perspective is more important than anything? Really, well, love is more important than anything, and love lives in that more relaxed state that's where we grow love not in our fight and flight right not in our hyper alert and i'm really worried about my baby's position it's natural for pregnant women to be a little bit anxious about am i doing things right and will i be a good mother and you know that's actually beneficial to pay attention to that but it's not beneficial if we worry about it so much that we're losing sleep or we're getting a faster heart rate we're stressed about it see so we want to change our emotional and mental state for positive we want to go for yes and have that belief so i'm in a kind of a predicament of talking about what are the common causes of an unexpected cesarean uh, or an unwanted cesarean and how to have this peaceful chill kind of a attitude which is where birth lives mm -hmm. right <laughs> yeah. No, I I yeah, that is our constant crux definitely, but I think you're doing a great job of giving people giving moms and 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 their partners tools so that in case they things are a little bumpy, they can get right back into the flow if if positioning and space is what's causing it to be bumpy. So yeah. I thank you so 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 much for 
Uh, for all you do it's been an honor to have you here and we you know obviously will keep in touch and keep following what you do spinningbabies.com is the best way for people to follow what you're doing you also have facebook right yes yes spinning babies on facebook but if people want to uh, engage in the conversation go to spinningbabies.com there's also a blogger uh, blog spot excuse me spinning babies at blog spot that has um, dip the hip and forward leaning version and stories and it's a great place to visit too. You gotta go and take a look people if you want to know what dip the hip looks like. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much Gail. Mighty Ones, check out the in-depth show notes for this episode at birthful.com where you can learn more about me, the show, send me messages and more. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you to best support this podcast, support its sponsors, and get free goodies while you're at it. The title song for this podcast is Vive Ace by Kevin McLeod, and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to a mighty parent as they share their amazing story here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so very much for listening. Hey, Mighty One, did you know that if you started listening to one birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.